Okay, Exodus 40, we there? Okay, Exodus 40, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And you shall put in it the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil. And you shall bring in the table and arrange it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps, and you shall put the golden altar, for instance, before the ark of the testimony, and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around, and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Verse 9. Then you shall take the anointing oil, and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and consecrate it and all its furniture, so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering, and all its utensils, and consecrate the altar, so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. This Noah, Noah, this Moses, that's because I was just talking to you, I think. This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Now, verse 33. And he, this is Moses, erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Shall we pray? Lord, I pray that there would be genuine meeting with you tonight and every day that these children of yours, that these priests for your mission would meet you every day, that we would become frequenters in visiting you and dwelling with you. Um, Lord, as we look at your story, I pray that you would write it on our hearts and minds so that it becomes our story. Shape the way we see the world. Shape the way we see life. And shape the way we surrender and participate with you in your great
mission. We pray these things because your son is resurrected and he lives here. He lives in us and with us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. (coughs) Amen. So, as we are here in Exodus 40, you might ask yourself, Why Exodus 40? Especially as we read it. You're like, that was the most anticlimactic section of scripture you've chosen yet. And furthermore, Brandon, I thought you said this series called History, Finding Our Place in God's Story, is grabbing the 31 most important sections of the scripture story so that we can see the whole story. And you're telling me that Exodus chapter 40 is an important part of the story? Because I can just read right over this and think nothing about it. To be frank, that's that's my thought too. It, it's it's a dull chapter culminating a dull set of chapters from chapter 25 on. That's how many chapters of dullness you've been enduring if you've ever read the book of Exodus in its entirety. So, what in the world? Why why are you looking at Exodus 40 as a part of God's story? Well, I think that obviously since we're here Exodus 40 and the building of the tabernacle which was a tent where God lived in with the people of Israel um, it was also called the tent of meeting in our text so you don't get confused tent of meeting, tabernacle, same thing Um, the fact that it's here means it's important the fact that I've chosen it means it's important So I hope that I will make that clear to you as we go through this. Because on the surface, this looks like nothing but a shabby tent that Israel was supposed to make until they could make their permanent beautiful temple. Just a little tent. Until they get to the real deal, the real temple. No, this is not just a shabby tent, okay? I, that was my understanding of the tabernacle for years. But tonight... I want to show you why God had to make a tabernacle, a portable tent, I mean a portable temple, a little tent in the first place before they get to the real temple in the promised land. Alright? It's important to God, so we're going to look at it as important here. Consider this. The creation of the world took one chapter. Genesis chapter 1. You could read that in about two minutes. But the creation of the tabernacle (laughs) took 13 chapters. And it'll take you way more than two minutes to read it. So, is there an imbalance here? Yes. What What do we consider most important? Creation of the world? But in God's story, the creation of the tabernacle takes up far more weight in his story. So, right there off the bat, you see that to God... This tabernacle was significant. So it's going to be our job tonight to kind of dig in a little bit further than the surface and find out what was the tabernacle, what made it such a big deal. And then a better question is how in the world does it fit with us? Because I've never seen no stinking tabernacle. I mean, I've seen models, I've seen computer graphics, but I've never, we don't as a church go to the tabernacle. Yay, worship time. Unless... Your church is called the Brooklyn Tabernacle or something like that. But that's, that's an old preacher. So, um, all right. <laughs> Here's what I eventually want to show you guys. 
is that with the tabernacle, it was a place for Israel to meet with God in restoration. Good timing. <laughs> the tabernacle was a place for Israel to meet with God in restoration. Okay, remember, there's, there's a separation in relationship with Him. The tabernacle brings that place where they can be restored with Him. And when we meet with God in restoration, then, then God can lead us in His commission. His mission for us. But the first we must meet Him in restoration. Then He can take us from that point and lead us into the mission He has for us. Namely to bring the restoration we experience to the nations. We're spreading it across the globe. Okay? So that's eventually what we're going to see. So first now let's step back. And let's orient ourselves in the story so far. Where does the tabernacle fall into the mess of things here? Let's go back to Genesis 1. The dwelling place of God is called heaven. Whatever that looks like, wherever that is, that is what heaven is. It is God's throne. It is his dwelling place. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, when God created the garden called Eden, it was a very special place, not just because it was beautiful, it was tranquil, it was peaceful, it was wonderful and pleasurable. Not just because of that. It was a special place also because in Eden, heaven met earth right there. So God dwelt in Eden. On the earth, Eden was his dwelling place. And Adam and Eve had the special privilege of dwelling with God in that rich, integrated harmonious relationship with him and they had the mission of making Eden grow so that God would dwell to the corners of the earth and the whole globe would become his dwelling place but they failed right they sinned they sided with the serpent they rebelled against the most high king and so what happened was Eden no longer became the place where heaven meets earth. God withdrew from it because of the sin that had entered the uncleanness. And Adam and Eve were exiled from it. And so now man since has been in this separated state from God. Living on the earth as exiles. In other words, as people kicked out of the place they were meant to be. Away from their home. Which is with God's dwelling place in Eden. Where heaven meets earth. So man's been living in a cursed state. Wandering about the earth. And God has not dwelt with man on earth since. I'm talking about our point in the story. But that's where the tabernacle comes in. God decides it's time that I dwell with man again. So I'm taking up a dwelling place inside the tabernacle. I'm restoring Israel. So that's how we orient ourselves with the story Man is in an exiled spot, but then God steps in the scene and says, I'm restoring man now. I'm bringing him back to Eden, back to a dwelling with me where he's meant to be. So he chooses a man named Abraham. Abraham, the earth is cursed and in exile. I'm choosing you to be a blessing to them, meaning you're going to pull them into a relationship with me. And so Abraham's little offspring grow and they multiply. And over 400 years, they become a two million man army called Israel. And Egypt is the enemy's tool and Egypt is oppressing them and enslaving them in Egypt and Pharaoh's ruling us and he's he's creating havoc and genocide in their ranks and they're crying 
crying out to God, save us. So God does that. He sends Moses. He delivers them through blood and water. And they're going out. And they see his mighty saving power, which is what Jesus did on the cross for us. Same thing. It's our exodus out of oppressive exile. And now he's bringing them. He's leading them through the wilderness. And he brought them to Mount Sinai. And there he restored them. (coughs) He made a covenant with them. And a covenant is something that God does with man. It's his initiated relationship with man sealed with blood. So it's sealed deal. It's, it's in other words, if I break this, I die. God's not going to die. He's not going to break it. So relationship has been initially restored. And with this covenant, God told Israel, you're going to be my priests. In other words, you're going to be my representatives to the nations all around you that I want to restore them and bless them in my relationship. I want to recreate Eden through you. So now we're here. Sinai is right just behind us. That just happened. That covenant was made. And now God says, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to physically come in your midst inside the tabernacle. Move from Sinai to the tabernacle. So Moses... Build it. And he builds it. So, restoration. Now Israel is able to dwell with God and meet with him on a regular basis. This is very good stuff so far. So, why then, I think I kind of foreshadowed this for you guys. Why did God want to build the tabernacle? Why did he tell Moses to do this? (coughs) God commanded Moses to create the tabernacle so that he could dwell with Israel. Okay, does it sound like Eden, maybe? It's where God dwelt with man. Um, Chapter 25, verse 8, is what gives us this answer. It says, Let them make me a sanctuary, that's a tabernacle, so that I may dwell in their midst. That's why he wants a tabernacle. I want to live with them. I want heaven to touch earth right there. And furthermore, this is the whole purpose for the exodus. Why did God allow Israel to be oppressed in Egypt? So that they would know what it feels like to be separated from him. And then he delivered them for the purpose of dwelling with them. You look at chapter 29 verse 45. It says, 29:45, I will dwell among the people of Israel... And will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God. The God who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. It's the whole reason I took you out of Egypt, Israel, so that I can live with you. So, when Moses creates the tabernacle, he's actually fulfilling the very purpose for the exodus. This whole reason God chose them and called them and led them out with blood and water. And bam, now I'm going to live with you. Purpose accomplished. So, why then did God do this? Why does God want to dwell with Israel? What's the big deal? I would say first of all, God desired to dwell with Israel because he wanted to meet with Israel in restoration. Alright, humanity is separated from him. No one is... God's not dwelling with any of man at this time here. So he wants to restore Israel to himself. So Moses, build me a tabernacle so that they can come to me. There's a place now where they can come and relate with me. They can restore themselves to what they're meant to be with me. So, 
It sounds much like Eden because that's what Eden was. It's where God dwelt. Tabernacles where God dwells. And there's actually similarities here. That the tabernacle was intended to replicate Eden. Intended to. Some of the language here tells us that. So I'll show you guys a couple of reasons why we think that the tabernacle is a miniature Eden. A portable Eden. So that Israel could anytime they want say, alright, let's go meet with God. And there's an Eden right there for them to meet with God in. Um, for example, if you guys want, if you guys want, if you're good with your fingers, go over to Genesis, hold your place here and do Genesis chapter two. And I'm going to show you a couple of the parallels in the language here. Actually start in Genesis one It says this, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. So God saw and behold, it was very good. Now go to Exodus 39.43. It's just up a little bit from where we are. 39.43. Moses saw all the work and behold, they had done it. You see how close that is? God saw the work and behold, it was good. Moses saw the work and behold, they had done it. Um, look at two, Genesis 2 verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. Exodus 39, verse 32. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. Ah. <laughs> Genesis 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and rested on the seventh day from all the work that he'd done. Exodus 40, verse 33. And Moses erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the court. So Moses finished the work. God finished in Genesis. Moses finished here in Exodus. And then finally, Genesis 2, verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And Exodus 39, 43. It's, a, it's the last sentence of Exodus 40, 39, 43. It says, then Moses blessed them. So, God blessed creation. Moses blessed them after the creation of the tabernacle. They're, the wording, uh, the whole sweat-breaking process of that was to show you that the wording in both mesh. Why? Because the author wants to show that the creation of the tabernacle has something to do with the creation of the world. It's a miniature form of it. So God is aiming at restoring his relationship with Israel here, a place where they can, where he can dwell with them and meet with them. Um, how many, how many days did it take to create the world? One. Oh, seven. <laughs> it took, ah. let's go back to Sunday school, Chris. It took seven. Seven days, seven acts, right? In the creation of the tabernacle, it took seven stages. Seven times in, in where God is commanding Moses to make it, there's seven times it says, the Lord said to Moses, this is how you shall make it. Seven times. Um, I can show you, just real quick, 25 verse 1. <clears throat> the Lord, this is right where it begins, the beginning of the tabernacle. The Lord said to Moses, and 20, uh, then 30 verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, 
30 verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, 30 verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, that goes on seven times exactly. So there's seven stages of building the tabernacle. There's seven days of creation. Um, Furthermore, the sixth stage of building the tabernacle was where God instituted that priests shall work in the tabernacle. What was the sixth day of creation? The the erection of man. (laughs) The creation of man. And on the seventh act of creating the tabernacle, God talked about the Sabbath. What happened on the seventh day of creation? God rested and initiated the Sabbath celebration. So there's definitely a parallel there too. Um, How about the precious stones the tabernacle is made of? Constantly is mentioned in the building of the tabernacle, gold and onyx stone. If you remember in Genesis 2 verse 10, it says that Eden was a place of gold and onyx stones and other valuable metals. And other valuable metals were put on the high priest's breastplate. So there's another connection. Um, Both the tabernacle and Eden were guarded by cherubim. Remember when man was exiled from the garden, God guarded it with with a cherub with a flaming sword. And in the tabernacle, all along the walls, as you go inside the tent, along the walls was to be embroidered cherubim. And on the veil which guarded where God actually lived in there, there was cherubim embroidered on the veil. So cherubim were guarding the tabernacle just like they were guarding Eden. And both the tabernacle and Eden were kept by priests. Um, Adam was a priest in Eden. We talked about that before. And in the tabernacle, it's Aaron and his sons are the priests working and keeping things going. So is there a coincidental connection or intentional? I would say this is very intentional. Um, In fact, scholars even go as far to say that all the gold inside of the tabernacle, because everything was gold, literally everything, um, and then the light from the lampstands was to replicate the starry hosts of the heavens. So like the seven lights would be reflecting and they would be bouncing off the gold and causing kind of like a um, heavenly scene in there. And (coughs) so everything about this was to replicate Eden. Yes, sir. Uh, scale models, yeah. yeah, definitely. I have I have computer software too. You can walk through it and look at it. Really cool. Come on, you've been here for years. You've done that. No, I know. I remember we did. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty close to accurate, as best as we know. So, so. Summarize here. The tabernacle was a place of restoration where God chose to meet with man. And that's where Israel is. They're, they're being restored with God the way that man is meant to be in Eden. Um, I'd say the second reason that God desired to dwell with Israel is not just so they can be restored, but here's where we're making the jump to our next section of Scripture. God desired to dwell with Israel not just to meet with them in restoration, but to lead them in their commission. From the tabernacle, you have the headquarters of the mission of God. And from there, he's going to thrust Israel into their mission of restoring every nation to God as Israel themselves are. Where in the world does Brandon come up with this? From very smart people who pointed out to me that the tabernacle is a mirror of an Egyptian war tent. So let me show you, yeah, I know, right? Obviously, I, I saw that too. Let me show you how Egyptian war tents looked, and you'll be like, oh, that's the tabernacle. 
Number one, Egyptian war tents had a three-part zone structure. Do you know what I'm saying? There were, there were three sections, three zones. The, the middle was where Pharaoh lived, and then there was a tent around that, and then there were the outer courts where his guards would guard him, and then around all that was the, the, the army would camp around. The tabernacle had the same thing. The Holy of Holies where God dwelt, then the tent that was over that where only the priests could go, and then the outer courts where, where the people could come and the priests guarded, and then the, the um, armies of Israel gathered all around that as well. So the structure is the same. And by the way, the measurements of the tabernacle and Pharaoh's war tent are the same. So something similar here. Second, the Egyptian war tents faced east. So did the tabernacle. It faced east, the direction of life. Third, (laughs) the image of the divine Pharaoh was placed, because you guys know that Egyptians considered Pharaoh the son of God. He was like a representative of God. They placed his image inside the tent. And on both sides of him, flanking the image, were two wing-like creatures. Now think of the Ark of the Covenant, and over that were the two-winged cherubim. Of course, there's no image of God himself, because God commanded no images. But his, that was called his throne, the Ark, and the two-winged cherubim surrounding him. Fourth, the Egyptian tent was to be surrounded by all of the troops. It was to be the very center. And the tabernacle is the same way. In fact, in Numbers 2, it describes in detail how the tribes are supposed to surround it. And there's supposed to be three on each of the four sides of the tabernacle. So that it was equally surrounding it and it was in the very middle. And then finally, fifth, Pharaoh lived in the tabernacle and came out of the tabernacle to lead his armies into battle. And that's exactly what Yahweh, God, is going to do from the tabernacle. He's going to lead Israel to their promised land from it. And when they get to the promised land, who fights for them? Over and over, he says, I am Yahweh who will fight for you. So we have here, um, what God is doing is he's taking the concept of Egypt's war tactics. And he's now saying, Israel, you came out of Egypt. You don't follow Pharaoh, you follow me. I am your warrior God. I'm going to lead you to the nations. I'm going to lead you to the promised land. And we're going to establish you there so that you can then be a blessing to the nations around you. You can, you can spread the restoration you're having with me. And in commission, the commission I'm sending out to you, you can be priests and bring that restoration to everybody. That's the purpose of the tabernacle. So come meet with me in restoration. And once you're there, I'm going to from there lead you in your commission. I'm going to be your warrior God, your leader, show you how to accomplish this, this, what's the right word? Agnominous? Is that the right word? This massive mission for you. No, I don't know. Okay. I hate it when big words come in my head and that's the only one. Like, I hope it's the right word. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that, like, yeah, that's great and all, but what about us? This is where we find our place in this story. And by now, you guys might be like finding that the answer is always repetitive, but this is the beauty of the gospel. It is the fulfillment of everything in God's story we see. Jesus is our tabernacle. Not just in concept, but the New Testament wants us to think that. Jesus is our tabernacle. 
In short, God desired to dwell with Israel, to restore them to himself, and to lead them in his commission from the tabernacle. So just, just change the words. Jesus is our tabernacle. God desires to restore us to him in Jesus, and to lead us on commission to restore the nations in Jesus. He's the one to lead us in that. So Jesus is our tabernacle. Um, for example, in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, you guys probably know this because we always quote John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The tabernacle's purpose was that God would dwell among Israel. Jesus came so that God would dwell among Israel. And that word dwell in the Greek literally says he tabernacled among us. Whew, that's cool. Jesus is our tabernacle. Second reason is our tabernacle. You notice in 40 verse 34 it says that the cloud which is God's manifest presence it covered the tent of meeting and then it filled the tabernacle it just it just completely came in and the glory of God filled it the glory of God filled Jesus too he was the embodiment of the glory of God Colossians 2:9 tells us that in Jesus the whole fullness of the deity God dwells in him bodily third the tearing of the flesh of Jesus is called the tearing of the veil in the tabernacle. This is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, where the author says, Brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places, that's the place where God dwelt in the tabernacle, the holy place, since we have confidence to enter into that by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that Jesus opened for us through the veil... That is through his flesh. So man can go to the Holy of Holies, to God's presence himself, because the veil that separated man from God was torn, and the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus' actual flesh was that veil, and when it was torn, when his flesh was actually ripped off his back and off his body on the cross, the veil was torn and we could go to God. Jesus, the connection is made that Jesus is our tabernacle. Fourth, worshipers met God, at the tabernacle, we meet God in Jesus. And they came to the tabernacle accepted by a blood offering. We come to God in Jesus accepted by a blood offering. Jesus himself is our blood offering. So the tabernacle is a source of blood. Jesus is a source of blood. Source of acceptance, source of acceptance. And then fifth, the tabernacle had a priest, a high priest to represent the people to God. Jesus is called our high priest to represent us to God. And Hebrews chapter 8, basically the whole chapter explains how Jesus is our high priest. So, in short, in Jesus, we find restoration with God. And when we find restoration with God, then he leads us in commission. He leads us in his mission for us. Just like the tabernacle, God's going to lead them into battle through there. Jesus is going to do the same thing. He's going to lead us into battle, bringing restoration to the nations, bringing them back to himself. Um, check out 40 verse 36 here. This is where we're going to get to this part of the text and wrap up here. 40 verse 36. It says, after, after the tabernacle was created, God came in and dwelt it 
in verse 34, verse 36 then says, Throughout all their journeys, whether the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. (coughs) In other words, the people of Israel went where God went. So he hovered in the tabernacle, right? And if he left the tabernacle and went over here, the people say, oh, time to pick up camp. And they they tear down the tabernacle and move wherever God's going. And then when he stopped, they would stop and build the tabernacle and he would come and fill it in again. And if he didn't move, they didn't move. He just stayed there. So every time God moved, okay, bring camp along with God. So they followed him wherever he went. He led them on their mission. And Jesus does... The exact same thing for us. Our mission, remember last week, this is what we saw. Our mission is the same as Israel's. Israel's to be a priesthood to the nations. They were to represent that God wants to bring everybody back to his dwelling place. He wants to restore the world to an Eden-like state. Our mission's the same because 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 tells us that we have the same mission. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation set out to bring people from darkness to light. So if God led Israel, he's going to lead us. From the tabernacle, from Jesus. So then my question here as we wrap up is, how do we follow Jesus? You know, the, the cloud moves on, but are we ready to move on with him? Are we ready to follow him in the mission and to bring restoration to other people? I'm going to show us four ways that we can know we're following Jesus. All right here from the text. So first way, how do we know we're following Jesus? Number one, center, <coughs> excuse me, center Jesus in all you do. The camp of Israel surrounded the tabernacle. It was the very center. Everything they did, it was in the center. It was, it was the source of their existence. And they went, every, the whole camp was around it. So put Jesus in the middle of your life. Build your camp. Build your events, your, your social life. Everything you do, build it around Jesus. It's pretty easy to follow him when he's in the middle. So that when it's time to move, you will, you'll know. Because you didn't just shove him out to the fringes on Sunday night or morning. He's part of everything you do. You see yourself as restored with him, living, he's dwelling with you. Follow him. Number two, surrender your members for his service. Your members. I use a general word on purpose because by members I mean your phalanges. Fingers, toes, feet, jawbone, knee bone, shoulder. Well, I don't know how that song goes. I don't think the jawbone's connected to the knee bone. But no, no, the the ankle bone's connected to the something bone. Okay, maybe not. Okay, <laughs> I don't either. So, um, your members, though, every every part of your body, every part of your desires, of your mind. Um, Everything that God's given you, like a job, friends, family, gifts, talents, everything about you, all of your members, all of your extensions, surrender those to God. That's what we see in verse 9 through 15 here in chapter 40. You saw that it says, then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. And that word anoint or some form of it shows up there eight times in just that little paragraph. Anoint, 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 anoint. What does anoint mean? I didn't get it, Brandon. Anoint simply means to appoint something for special service. So what they did in their case, they took oil and put oil on something. And when the oil was on it, they officially appointed it for special service. That's what it means to be anointed. 
So a king was anointed because he was appointed to special service for God. In this case, everything in the tabernacle is anointed because it was appointed to special service for God. And so you and I ought to take every little component, like every component in the tabernacle, every component, every member of your life, anoint that, appoint it for special service for God by surrendering your all to Him. And then, of course, you're going to follow because you're part of Jesus, you're part of the tabernacle, you're surrendered, anointed, appointed to service for Him. So follow Him third. By faithfully finishing the work that God gives you to do. Faithfully finishing the work God gives you to do. Look at verse 16. (coughs) So this Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him. So he did. And verse 32. I think that's actually supposed to say verse 33. (laughs) And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. I think sometimes we have a hard time following God because he's shown us what to do and where to go, but we haven't done it yet. We're looking for something bigger or something, something different. But God set a task in front of you. And it wasn't until Moses finished the work, not until then, that the cloud entered, the glory of God entered the tabernacle and it was able to now operate and lead them. You might think that things you're ignoring are just such little things. Like there might be a certain person that you keep feeling, you keep thinking about them all the time. And maybe God's telling you that you should connect with that person. And you just keep putting it off because you're too cool with your click. Or you're too, you don't, you're not inclusive or you don't care about unity or whatever. But listen, that is a job God's given you and you keep pushing aside. And then you wonder, why does God never lead me? Because he's given you a step and you're not taking it just logical you know so um, sometimes what God gives you to do guys is a test to see is he faithful is she faithful to little things so that I can give her him bigger things I would never if 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 I give my son whenever I get one should maybe be two years from now I don't know Um, if I uh, give him an allowance one dollar and every week he loses it I'm not increasing his allowance Loses it. If you're if you're spending it, you're using it for a purpose. Anyways, cheesy illustration, but you guys see, if you're not faithful, little things, why are you going to get more? Of course you're not. And then finally, fourth, <coughs> how we know we're following God. Look for God's glory in whatever you do. Look for His glory in whatever you do. What does God want me to do? Well, I don't know what glorifies Him. It's always a good place to start. Do you think that I should, uh, you know? Be really concerned about getting the prom queen as my girlfriend. Consume my last year of life doing that. High school life, I mean. Fun life. <laughs> well, I don't know. Does it glorify God? It's probably not the thing you should prioritize. Okay? Um, should I start um, making beanies for homeless people? I don't know. Does it glorify God? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you should probably do it. It's a good place to start. <laughs> in verse 34, though, it said that the cloud, you know, the glory of God filled the tabernacle. And that's what we're going for. We're going for his glory. We're, his glory is what led the tabernacle. We're, we're following where his glory goes. If you have no concern for God's glory, you will never understand your place in this story. 
if you have no concern for God's glory, you'll never understand your place in this story. Because Isaiah 43, 7 says that he created us for his glory. And if you don't have concern for his glory, then you've you started off on a bad foot. So we would pray that you would pray the first line of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. Glory be your name. And let me see it that way. Let me see it as important. So look for God's glory in whatever you do. And you will know, you'll know if you're doing what God wants you to do. You'll know that you're following Jesus in his commission to restore all people around you to himself. So <coughs> the conclusion is that the tabernacle or Jesus, when we meet with God in restoration, then he will lead us in the great commission. But start meeting with Him in restoration now. Find that dwelling place of God and seek Him. Dwell with Him. Live with Him. Some of you might need salvation first. That's okay, because Jesus is risen, so you're forgiven. Meet with God in restoration, and from there, He leads us in the commission to restore all peoples to Himself. Lord, I ask that... I ask for um, the experience of, of dwelling with you in that constant restored state to be our common experience. And Lord, from there, lead us. We want to see the earth blessed. We want to be a blessing to the cursed earth. We want to bring restoration to the exiled and separated peoples. We want to be part of your mission. We want to be part of your story. So Lord, lead us and show us how you want your commission fulfilled we look to follow you wherever you go. You fight for us. And we simply obey. So Jesus, accomplish this. I ask that you supernaturally come and change our hearts so that your glory becomes more important than our glory. And locate us in your story. That we are all participants here. In your son's name we pray. Amen.